Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Leah Ben David will join us to discuss the story of our lives. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, us humans, homo sapiens, have had a great secret for success, but what exactly has led to our dominance on the planet? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Leah Ben-David. Dr. Ben-David is the CEO of the Davidson Institute of Science Education, which is the educational arm of Israeli's acclaimed Weizmann Institute of Science. She holds a PhD in molecular biology and has more than 30 years of experience in the field of STEM education. An accomplished author who has published numerous articles and books. She has penned the new book, The Story of Our Lives, Homo Sapiens' Secret of Success, and she joins us today to discuss this very fascinating issue. Dr. Ben David, thanks so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored to be here and share some of the insights that I've gathered throughout my career as a trained scientist, science educator, and more than anything, a proud member of our unique species, Homo sapiens. <laughs> well, I just learned about the secrets of our success, and I'm curious, then, why did you decide to put this book together? Well, I've always been a curious observer of the living world, and more so of our place in it. I'm constantly intrigued by the simultaneous similarities and differences between humans and other organisms. So I chose to study life sciences and received my PhD at Weizmann Institute, as you mentioned. Then, understanding I adore working with people rather than in a lab, and since I'm convinced that science and technology are the best schools of thought and action that we have to understand and, and function in this world, that's where I placed my bets, and I became a science educator. For the past 31 years, I've been dealing with all aspects of what is known as STEM education. Now, as a biologist, I've made a point of traveling the world as much as possible to explore its treasures. And as a STEM educator, I'm constantly searching and developing exciting and engaging ways to explore the world with my students and colleagues. Now, I found that while we use a wide range of disciplines, such as genetics, social biology, communication, and so on, to compare humans to other organisms, more times than less, our answers are highly influenced by our cultural backgrounds. We hold a historical, unwavering, unwavering paradigm of humans as a complete and separate entity from other organisms, or at least as an organism that is extremely better than the rest. Well, don't forget, we took the liberty to call ourselves Homo sapiens, which literally means the wise hominid. Add to that our growing abilities to change the quality and longevity of our lives, and you'll easily reach the same conclusion as humans as made in the image of God. And my experience has led me to develop a new paradigm, describing who we are as one of the organisms of this planet that is also a very unique and different organism. It's also an optimistic approach, meaning that I do believe in us. We're a species that has developed and knows how to continue to develop all the abilities that we need to face challenges for the better, if we so choose. That is totally up to us. And that's the paradigm that I describe in this book as a, an almost cockeyed optimist 
the narrative is a, re- is a result of my own journey, rooted in professional experience and understanding of science, technology, education, culture, and the interactions between them. And they're accompanied with some magnificent photos of ours that exemplify the arguments that I make. It really is a very interesting paradigm, and point out in your book five key human traits that are essential to our success. The big five. That's what I call them. Well, I actually begin the book where the first chapter discusses the similarities, the dynamic, diverse world of living organisms that is filled with what we can, be, we can consider as previews of human traits. I only found this fitting that before focusing on ourselves, I selected a handful of examples of the beautiful diversity of what the living world has and some of the mannerisms that we have in common with other organisms. But actually, if you go through the book, you'll see uh, these examples from uh, sociable weavers in Africa and penguins in Antarctica and so on. Only after that, uh, laying that ground of similarities, The key to viewing the difference uh, stems from understanding of the characteristics and processes of a highly complex system, which we are. The five major traits, which I call the big five, developed in a long process of co-evolution, changing from primates to hominins until some 300,000 years ago, this rich and diverse display of characters co-evolved to a unique, not to say stunning, demonstration of synergy, which is us. These big five of, five of Homo sapiens are imagination, creativity, change, communication, and intergenerational transfer. There isn't a hierarchy between them. They work together as a complex system, and they continuously develop in a codependent fashion in humans. Let's explore a few of them for a few minutes. So the first one is imagination. We're a species that loves to tell stories. Our ability to tell stories, create real and imagined worlds, and relate to them can't be overstated. When young children believe in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus, or as I did at five in Puff the Magic Dragon, it's an important stage that is necessary for the development of imagination and innovative thinking for their future. Most of us will remember the details of a good story because of the feelings that they stir in us. We laugh, we cry, we love and hate through our stories. We create visions, we define needs, we pursue them. From the wonderlands of Alice to the Matrix and Metaverse, it all comes down to our imagination telling us that somewhere over the rainbow, we will go to Oz and we can envision what we will find there long before we leave Kansas. But we're not just storytellers, which brings us to the second trait, which is creativity. We are story makers. We don't settle for imagining alone. We actually go out and do something about it. We design, we build, we create artifacts, we change our environments, we expand our biological abilities, and we even manipulate our own bodies to fit our dreams, even when sometimes we're doubtful about them. And we do so without stopping, which leads us to the third trait, which is the most constant character of the universe, and that is change. In fact, if there's anything we can count on, it's change. Our kind has taken it to an extreme. Note that we continuously search for change as a species, but not necessarily as individuals. Actually, we can easily see a contradiction between the two. Uh, When uh, many times on the personal level, for example, we will avoid and even oppose change, mostly because of the uncertainty that comes with it. It might mean we will lose control or lose our comfort zone, be hurt by the unexpected. Try watching Disney's latest Encanto through the prism of resisting change, expressed beautifully in the We Don't Talk About Bruno number one hit, the character who tells everyone else what kind of change awaits them to their face. And you'll see that we are reluctant actually to talk about change, coming to terms with 
constant change as an, an inevitable trait of our universe. But as a species, we adore change. Just look at how we've been conducting ourselves for centuries. We can't wait to develop the next best thing, standing in line for the next version of whatever it is. It's a craving that, together with the other four, has taken us from writing on stone to paper to digital, from navigation charts to GPS, from horse and buggy to Tesla, and way beyond. And the last two show how crucial and interconnected the co-development of these competencies is, because we couldn't achieve this level of story-making and change without the ability to develop accepted abstract symbolic systems. We all recognize signs that are made up of no more than lines, dots, and curves written by a composer, because at some point we all agreed that when we arrange them in a certain fashion, they will mean something that we can all understand and actually turn into music. Our symbolic systems enable us to communicate at a level of sophistication that no other organism we know of can, from explicit practical information, such as where food and water can be found, to intricate and abstract ideas, such as time and emotions and thoughts. Our languages, by the way, are examples of these very symbolic systems, including spoken, signed, and written codes that symbolize meaning. They express high-order abstract thinking skills. And last but not least, which actually stems out of all the other four, is our ability to transfer all of these goodies to, from one generation to the next, without needing to go through the entire process all over again. Based on these other four competencies, we can continue from where the last generation stopped. That's why we don't need to search for firestones anymore. All we need to do is have a self-lighting stove or go to buy a match from the supermarket. Now, the unique combination of these big five, which I describe in chapter two out of the six in the book, they're actually a launch pad from which four major aspects take off. They grind and grow through a distinctive relationship at a level of complicated development that is found only in Homo sapiens, and they're discussed in the next chapters. Chapters three and four deal with the manifestation of sophisticated intelligence in general. I explain why when we use our systems of intelligence in combination with the, the big five, we're expressing a kind of intelligence that is unique to us alone, and that's technological intelligence. The emergence of technological intelligence on the stage of human evolution created an instrument of extreme biological advantage, resulting in the development of our continuously dynamic, persistent, and ever-interacting nature. In short, once we began putting our technological intelligence to practice, it wasn't really long before we started changing the world. The chapter deals with complex questions such as what is technology, when did it begin, what is the difference between technology and tool making, do other organisms have technology, what kind of relationship do we have with our technology, how is it connected to the big five, Especially, I describe why these questions are important in our journey to understanding the uniqueness of who we are. And in the last two chapters, I discuss the final aspects of our human launchpad, our inclination not only to teach and learn, but to educate, and historically most recently developed the paradigms and practices of modern science, which I think has become more and more relevant in the past two and a half years of pandemic. Now, we know that teaching and learning aren't unique to humans alone. Active learning can be found at different levels of performance in other organisms. Cheetahs, for example, actively teach their cubs to hunt. They have been seen releasing in front of them live prey for them to catch, knowing that that prey might get away before the cubs learn to succeed. 
these, we all know, are impressive teachers as they teach their peers exact directions to Poland and Nexter by specific dances. But once we turn to Homo sapiens, just like in every other aspect of our lives, we need more. Our education needs organized content, sophisticated means of communication, structures of behavior, ethics, social and cultural development. So while other animals teach, humans seek to educate, to create strategic processes through which we can increase our ability to transmit, inspire and influence change in our intellectual, emotional and social assets, or in short, we need the big five. Now, unfortunately, our education systems are frustrating. We don't really use our knowledge about who we are as individuals, as a species, as cultures in our systems. Education requires a discussion on its own, but I did lay out the basic ideas we must address in the book. And finally, I end probably with what is most favorite to me, which is modern science. I am currently proud to be the CEO of a unique science education institute, the Davidson Institute, situated in Weissman in Israel. And it's based on the approach that I have discussed. We are very busy doing everything we can to make science a pillar of society. Allow me to explain. As I said, I admire science and technology as part of the greatest achievements of mankind. It's the best school of thought and methodology that we have to explain the world and our place in it. It's a very human-centered approach very different than what you will usually hear from scientists, claiming that science is developed by humans for humans. And there are four reasons that make science a pillar of society, a pillar that is much larger than the disciplines that science deals with. First, it's an ethical reason. Our level of scientific and technological understanding, know-how and achievements allows us to the advantages that we've never had before, but also unprecedented power to use and cause harm. So we must be literate in science to make evidence-based informative decisions. We also need to understand science if we wish to continue to improve our lives as a society, because it's one of the main power engines of social development and sustainability. It's also becoming more and more expensive, more political-based, and it's in dire need of social and wide economic support. Decision makers and governments who really wish to maintain a leading economy and society Well, they need to understand some science, too. And the third and probably most neglected reason is is that science is one of the characteristics that makes us human. We're born curious. The scientific method is naturally displayed in our behavior. Just think of every baby throwing an object again and again on the ground just to watch it fall and hear the sound that it makes. It's one of the best ways to nurture and develop ourselves. And last is the reason that has been with us for centuries that COVID-19 has uncovered its ugly face, and that's science denial, or in its more sophisticated form, which I coin in the book, science abuse. In spite of the growing accessibility of science, we still feel uneasy when standing at the frontier of the unknown. It ignites our imagination as well as our fears. So science denial is one of the prices that we pay for ubiquitous knowledge, which means unlimited exposure to news and fake news. This is where our storytelling is at its best and at its worst. So the point is that the home of belief, myth, magic, threat, conspiracy theories, and scandals are always more interesting. So we really need understanding science if we want to confront these problems. And with a personal note, I'm probably one of the very few people on earth who can say that for almost nine months, I walked around with a photo showing two embryos side by side, my two about-to-be grandchildren. We called them baby A and baby B. 
all we knew was that one was the genetic daughter of my son and the other was the genetic daughter of his partner. They had the same egg donor, so the babies were half-sisters genetically on the female side of the bargain. But on the male side, it was a different story. The eggs were placed in two separate dishes, and each dish was fertilized with the sperm of one of the men. Several embryos developed, and the strongest from each one of the dishes was transferred and implanted in the womb of a surrogate. Nine months later, two baby girls were born, and it was a very emotional, happy sight. Two fathers, two daughters, one for each biological father, one egg donor who wasn't physically present, one surrogate, and one very proud grandmother. The minute I saw the girls, I started laughing because they were no longer babies A and B. Each one of them was the spitting image of her genetic father. Natural biology, or more specifically genetics, was at its best. But in this case, natural biology wasn't enough. To achieve the full story, it needed some help. So I had a few insights, and they're all expressed widely in my book. One, no other organism can do this. Two, only a few years earlier, nothing like this could have been possible, even for humans. Three, now, thanks to human ingenuity, it was a huge privilege to be present at the birth of the daughters of my son and his partner. To this day, which is seven years later, I still call them my science and technology granddaughters. It's the most exciting and important achievement humanity can offer. As I said, I'm forever the optimist. And with this, I risk my case. A remarkable story. The optimism for science has come under fire of late. Do you think that the rationalism, the, the logic of science, can ever truly replace things like mysticism, which give comfort or an alternate explanation? Well, science is about questions, not about answers. So we continuously ask questions and we move that line of knowledge to the next step, the next level that previously we did not know. Once a UFO, for example, we understand something that we see in the sky, an unidentified object, which by its name, you can understand what it is. Once you identify it, it's not interesting anymore and it's not a myth anymore. It's part of understanding our environment. So I think that science continuously develops through its questions, but I also believe that we do need our stories. We need our imagination. As long as we use them in an, a logical way without imposing these myths or behaviors on others, but actually using it to continue to imagine and explore and develop the next frontier, I think I'm forever the optimist. I think that when you look historically on the human endeavor throughout the different, I'd say, several thousands of years, we develop continuously. And as I said, we have the ability to do good. It's our responsibility and our decision. I do believe that there are more and more voices calling out for taking decisions that are evidence-based and using critical thinking and logic to approach the different challenges that we have, and we can approach them. I have huge belief in mankind. I grew up with Charles Schultz's wonderful, wonderful comic saying, I love mankind. It's people I have problems with sometimes. So yes, I am optimistic generally for the human species. I believe that if we all understand that we can do it and we can decide and take responsibility on our own decisions, that's where I place my bets on. Science abuse, which I do discuss in the book, is a worse form than science denial. It claims that your science is proving my belief started long before COVID. 
2014, for example, creationists demanded equal airtime on the science series Cosmos that described evolution. Their claim was that the science program wasn't balanced. Now, maybe previously, in previous years, they would have succeeded, but I'm happy to say that they couldn't. Putting aside that, in fact, scientific evidence against the religious creationist paradigm is staggering, the very idea of placing the two paradigms on the same platform tried to legitimize the idea that they're comparable, and therefore the series denied them access to the scientific series and said, you want to give a different paradigm, do it on your own. We see that still with COVID-19, but I do have strong belief through education processes such as we're doing at Davidson with youth from not only Israel, but all over the world, creating and developing science literacy as the tool for making decisions and solving problems. See more and more of that in our youngsters. And if we want the bright future that I'm talking about, Science literacy is the pillar of building a better, democratic, and tolerant society. Indeed, and you're CEO of the Davidson Institute of Science Education. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that organization. Oh, I'd love to. The Davidson Institute is actually situated within the Weizmann Institute of Science Research campus. And it was created, established by the Weizmann Institute and the Davidson Foundation from Detroit. It's literally Weizmann's education arm, understanding that it is part of the scientist's job to develop scientific literacy for the next generation. And therefore, the Davidson Institute enjoys the commitment and direct involvement of scientists and world-leading students as its board and volunteers, activity leaders and professionals, people like me. I'm a graduate of, of Weizmann, who decided that science education is our passion and mission in life to create a better society working to enhance the continuum that is necessary to build a critical thinking society from science literacy for all to excellence and leadership in science all the way to the next generation of scientists. We develop and implement many programs that are built in a way that can be enjoyed from part by participants from all over Israel, fit to their interests, their learning habits, their preferences, it's done in labs, in classes, in our outdoor museum, the Clore Garden of Science, online social networks, media, you name it, we're there. We try to create a huge buffet of activities that are fit to all needs and desires from understanding the very basic science that we need for everyday decisions available to all without boundaries. Israel is a multicultural country. And science should be available to all without boundaries. So we make sure to offer the majority of our programs in three languages, in Hebrew, in Arabic, and in English, enabling us to physically reach approximately 120,000 participants per year and more than half of the science educators in Israel. And on the digital arena, also in three languages, we offer a wide variety of activities and our participation numbers are staggering. When COVID began, we actually launched a stuck-at-home initiative, making us realize the importance of agility of all of these activities, strengthening the need for even more creative and personalized learning. And we reached goals, expressed them, and we addressed them all through the collaboration of all of us, from scientists to science educators to students and teachers and families. 
And we're currently developing new ways to dive deeper into the agile environment that we are confronting and engage in science education, offering all sciences in a multitude of ways that enable personalized learning. Now, this walks hand in hand with what, with what I've described about Homo sapiens. The past, I would say, 70, 80 years have taught us so much about ourselves, both both on the personal level of who we are, what our specific personalized trends of learning are, but also as a species, what our characteristics are, and as cultures. So these three different dimensions, the individualized learning, the cultural learning, and the social learning, the species learning, all of these three are combined in our activities. We really are doing cutting-edge science education, very innovative, very different, and amount of uh, participants is growing by day. So we're very proud, and we hope to continue doing good so that we can secure a better future for all of us. We were just talking with Dr. Liette Ben-David. She's the CEO of the Davidson Institute of Science Education, which is the Weizmann Institute of Science. Her new book, The Story of Our Lives, Homo Sapiens' Secret of Success. Dr. Ben-David, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.